Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Please, um, I'm going to read First Chronicles 29, 10-25. It's on page uh, 427 and 28. Uh, David's prayer. Uh, David praised the, the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise to be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in the heavens and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things in your hands and strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be uh, be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from our hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as we all, as as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. Lord, our God, all of the abundance that we have provide for, for building you as a temple for your holy name come from your hand and all of the belongings to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity, with integrity. All these things I give, I have given willingly and with and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willing you, your people at who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you and Give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the, the palace structure, palace structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, "Praise the Lord your God, so that all the praise of." Praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves from the Lord and the king. The next day, made they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs together with their drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance 
for all of Israel. They ate and they drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. Then they acknowledged Solomon, the son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord as the ruler in Zadok to be priest. So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He prospered all of and all of Israel obeyed him. All of the offerings and the warriors as well as as all of King David's sons pledged their submission to King Solomon. The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed him on the royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had before. Praise be to God. You may Fun stuff, huh? You saw that picture of the Libertis on the screen, and right in the middle of it is my second or third favorite dog on planet Earth. It was B-Dog, is that right? B-Dog is his name? His name. B-Dog. And just a great dog. Cool thing about B-Dog is ever since they moved to Germany, he now barks in German. So it's really pretty cool. Well, today it's already been mentioned, but today we are beginning a brand new series called Celebration is Not an Option, not meaning we shouldn't do it, but meaning we have to do it in light of who God is and in light of what he has done. Forty days of preparation in the season of Lent all culminated last Sunday in our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, but it really makes no sense to spend 40 days preparing and only one one day celebrating. So we are now in this season known as Eastertide, which is kind of a strange word, but it is a season in the church's life and calendar of celebration and joy where the people of God for, as Ken said, about 50 days continue to remember and celebrate the new world that began with the resurrection. And my job today is to simply introduce this practice of celebration and kind of stir our thinking a bit about what this practice means. I'm actually rather excited about this subject. It may not sound like it has a lot to it, but I actually think in in light of the times in which we live, this practice of celebration in the midst of the various twists and turns and ups and downs of life is a crucial thing for us to think about, to struggle with together, and to actually do. Now, what I'm about to do is shameless. I've been sitting on this for seven months, working through my chronic problem of Overthinking what I'm about to do is the pride of a father using the platform of his job to promote and celebrate his daughter. It is shameless. It is questionable to a degree. So please accept my sincerest apology. And now that I've confessed it, let's get on with it. So Izzy plays soccer at the University of San Francisco. And last fall, like they have for many, many years, USF played Cal on a foggy San Francisco night, and Cal wins these games most of the time, something like 22 out of the last 23 times they've played. When Izzy was about 9 or 10 years old, she decided she wanted to play college soccer, and so she began to orient her life accordingly. And I won't bore you with all the details, but she made countless sacrifices 
to practice and prepare and practice and train to achieve her goal. She missed all sorts of dances and parties and football games and even family vacations because she was determined to achieve this goal. And her devotion to be the best she could be uh, wowed her mom and I for about a decade. And so last fall, the Cal Bears are playing the USF Dons, like I said, on a foggy night in San Francisco. At the time, it was early in the season, I think Cal was rated 14th in the country. Cal is wearing blue jerseys, USF is wearing white jerseys, and Izzy is number three in the white. And you'll see on the scoreboard, it was 0-0 for most of the game. So let's just jack the shameless up another notch and watch this video. There's no point to that. I just wanted to show you. No. <laughs> My favorite part of the whole thing was at the very end of the game because you may have noticed as the seconds ticked down, her joy was literally bursting out of her. And Izzy is the type of person who is quite skilled at restraining her joy. But as the clock wound down, even she could not hold back. And in what I can only describe as this wonderfully joyous hope you may have noticed she hopped a few times she skipped a few times she clapped her hands a few times as if to say did i do it are we going to win is it going to hold up and when the whistle finally blew she ran into the arms and celebrated with teammates and i was not actually at the game which i was glad for reasons i won't explain namely because Tears were pouring out of my eyes faster than I could contain. But I was absolutely overjoyed for her. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I was thrilled they beat the great ogre, Cal. So, definitely. But I was just overjoyed for her. All the years of training and practice and sacrifice converged that night. And she experienced unbridled joy. Now, I know it's just a game, and I know there's more to life than games, and I know I put too much weight on sports and all the rest of it, blah, 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 blah. I agree with all that, but I've watched this video, I don't know, maybe 7,000 times now, and every single time I am stung by her joy. It actually digs up all sorts of emotion in me every time I watch it. Her delight that night was my delight. Something about her hopping and skipping and jumping and clapping and celebrating fulfills a deep desire I have for her in life that she would experience joyous celebration. And could it be that a deep desire in the heart of God is that we would experience joyous celebration in the midst of our often challenging lives? Could his delight actually be our delight? I think so. 
Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 7 and verse 11. This is on the screens. He's speaking here to people like us. And he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In our scripture reading, Dawn read from 1 Chronicles 29, the people of God, many of them, have all gathered together to rejoice and celebrate God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's provision. They've just received an offering, and it was an amazing offering, all given for the building of a temple to be constructed so they had a place to gather and worship God. David is nearing the end of his life. His son Solomon is going to be the next king, and there is a felt awareness of God's presence with them. And the whole scene, when you read it, pulsates with God's goodness and joy. And his people are cutting loose, they're celebrating, they're feasting, and they're rejoicing in the presence of God. And so for a few minutes this morning, I want to reflect on this practice of celebration. Richard Foster writes about the practice of celebration. The decision, it is the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life The decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. When we choose this way, the healing and redemption in Christ will break into the inner recesses of our lives and relationships, and the inevitable result will be joy couple quick thoughts, thoughts from what he says. Celebration is a decision. It is a choice. It is an act of the will. It won't just happen. He also mentions it is a discipline. We might call it a Holy Spirit-empowered practice that when done consistently will gradually form and train and retrain us to be kingdom people. Celebration gradually brings the presence and the power of Jesus deeper into our lives and into our relationships. He also mentions joy. The fruit of this practice of celebration is joy. The Spirit of God forms us into authentically joyful people. So with this as a bit of context, I want to share three reasons why we need this practice of celebration. And the first is, so we remember the joy of God himself. The practice of celebration is rooted in the conviction that God is, in fact, the most joyous being in all of the cosmos. John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and then this great phrase, and that your joy may be complete. In Jesus' prayer in John 17, 13, speaking of his disciples, he says, I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work within us is love. And the second thing mentioned is joy. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist and relate in a perpetual state of joy and delight. More simply, God is happy. And while he certainly knows sorrow and wrath, these are his responses to a broken world, but one day he will no longer need 
wrath and sorrow, but his joy will remain because joy is an abiding attribute of who God ultimately is. Now, let me just ask you to think about this. What is your unedited, unfiltered gut reaction to the notion of a joyous God or of God as the most joyous being in the cosmos? For some, maybe many, the idea of God being joyful or Jesus with his head thrown back in laughter or Jesus being genuinely happy even as he moved about the earth severely messes with the mental image of God we believe and have attached ourselves to. How we think of God and how we see God is so crucial in how interested we will be in God. Some of us think of God as little more than a grumpy old man. And who wants to get close to that? But the Bible depicts God as eternally joyous. There is this phrase often stated in the Bible, the joy of his presence. And he gives his joy to his people. So we practice celebration, first of all, to remember the joy of our God. Secondly, we practice celebration because it revives confidence in God. The stock market, as you know, is volatile because of the various tensions and uncertainties in our world. There there is political friction in our country seemingly every single day, often ignited by an early morning tweet. We are in a tariff war with China, a sanctions war with Russia, and a potential military war with North Korea. And of course, there are ongoing life issues in some of our families, with some of our marriages, or with our health, or our job, or our finances. So there are ample reasons today not to celebrate. Plenty of reasons to brood under the ominous cloud of anxiety and fear. Everything is not okay. The world is a dangerous place. People do get hurt. Serious things are happening in the world and in some of our lives, and the future is indeed uncertain. And following Jesus does not answer all of the questions or fix all the problems or resolve all of the tensions or protect us from all of the pain. Far from it. And so in the context of this broken world in which we live, the practice of celebration, let's just admit it, almost seems illogical. It seems like a way to just bury our heads in the sand and pretend things are better than they are. Celebration almost seems silly in a world shattered by disappointment and pain. In addition, in this broken world, and from my perspective, this seems to be a bit of a trend, we can believe in God but at the same time, lose sight of him and lose touch with him. So we can believe in God, but live in what one writer calls an imminent frame, meaning a small world bound by the limits of our own experience and our own understanding. A disenchanted world, we might say, where God certainly exists, but he doesn't involve himself in many of the particulars, so he isn't really present in any meaningful sort of way. He is detached, then, from the epidemic of chaos in our world. He is distant from everyday concerns like health and marriage and aging and job and future. So we may believe in God, but our actual confidence, our actual trust, imperceptibly 
transfers from God to things like financial security or things like political power or things like military might or material abundance or just more reliance on self. And the practice of celebration, as we're considering it today, is one way of resisting this slide towards self-reliance, which is why we so desperately need it in days of turmoil. Because when we practice celebration using Foster's rich language, we choose, we decide to set our minds on God and to remember his goodness and remember his faithfulness, we anchor our lives, in other words, in God's bigger story. We choose to marvel at his magnificence, especially when we don't understand the details of our particular circumstances. We rehearse over and over God's faithfulness. We recall his greatness. And all of this revives our confidence in him. See, celebration is a declaration in word and in action that in David's words, right from 1 Chronicles 29, yours, God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And if we let just this short section speak into the setting of our crazy world and uncertain lives, either we walk away saying David is delusional or David is just flat out wrong or God is actually bigger than our challenges and conflicts and pressures, and our lives and our stories are anchored in him. He is, again, using David's words, head over all, ruler of all things, greater than all things, more powerful than all things, glorious, majestic, and full of splendor, and nothing compares with him. So, in the aching back, cancer, job loss, marriage struggle, loneliness, health challenge, Jesus is the resurrected king. And he reigns. And he is good. And he is for us. And he delights in us. And his grand story of redemption and restoration and reconciliation continues to unfold in this broken world. And this doesn't fix all the brokenness, but it anchors us back into his story and sparks celebration to revive our confidence in our king. And third and last, we need celebration so we learn to delight in the present goodness, the goodness we experience right now in front of us in everyday things. The practice of celebration is an act of the will that we choose in spite of our circumstances. It's a decision to set our mind on God and on eternal things and respond to his wonder and to his greatness. But whenever I dig into a practice like celebration, the question looms in my mind, well, what does it actually look like 
in life. Sounds good, sort of good, sounds marginally interesting. But what does it actually look like in our lives? So if I can once more revisit the shameless world of fatherly pride, ever since I first, first watched Izzy at the end of that game, and for nearly every 6,999 views I've had since then, the practice of celebration has become just a little bit more clear to me. It is, if you'll permit me, hopping, skipping, jumping, clapping, laughing, smiling, cheering, and doing it all with others who've got the same jersey on. It's not mystical. It's not really all that mysterious. It's actually bodily. You kind of look at that video and go, she's celebrating. They're celebrating. We don't have to go, is she celebrating? Are they celebrating? Really? They say they are. They're supposed to be. But are they? No, they're celebrating. It's coming out through their bodies. It's visible. I once asked Dallas Willard. He was talking about joy and celebration. And he kind of has this uh, he had this sort of uh, somber way of talking about joy and celebration. So I said to him once, well, what does joy and celebration actually look like for you? And he stared a hole through me, and without pausing, he just said, Greek dancing. I said, yeah, me, me too. I thought he was kidding. But it's weird. I think I get it just a little bit. Celebration is an embodied response to the remembrance or the experience of God's goodness. That's what it is. There's no mystery as to whether we're celebrating. Now, some of us celebrate wildly. Some of us are more restrained. And it is, I think, just wrong to think that it's going to look the same for everybody, because it's not. Celebration will look differently depending on who we are. So we should celebrate in a way that is consistent with who we are and then a little bit more. But celebration is an embodied response to the remembrance or to the experience of God's goodness. Now just think for a moment about this. When we gather every Sunday, every Sunday, we are gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's why the early church moved everything to Sunday. Because Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday. So whether we say the words or not, every single Sunday we gather together, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not analyzing it. We're not dissecting it. We are celebrating the goodness of Jesus' resurrection and the new life we experience now and even more fully forever. And the simple kind of hypothetical I want to throw out to you is if there were invisible people in this room watching us, would they walk away and go, they're celebrating. It's obvious. It's coming out of their bodies because celebration is an embodied response to the remembrance or to the experience of God's goodness. In the Lord's Supper, we celebrate God's loving initiative and action to rescue and reconcile and restore us. There's no mystery to it. We're celebrating what He's done for us. The offerings we give to the church and to other kingdom endeavors 
are a celebration. In the words of David in 1 Chronicles 29, that wealth and honor come from God. So we're giving you what's already yours. And we're doing it as a celebration. And another way to practice celebration is to delight in the present goodness whenever we see or experience it in the midst of everyday life stuff. Those spontaneous moments of goodness in everyday life that hit us or pass by us or we see and they inspire celebration and they inspire joy. I recognize I'm feeding a monster here, so forgive me for this, but yet again, and I have other witnesses to testify to this, we're celebrating communion and most of us are politely picking a morsel off of this delicious bread until some young celebration expert files in front of our station and sinks their claw into a massive hunk, pulls it out, and the only thing missing was, is there any peanut butter around? It's a beautiful moment. From Ronald Rollheiser's book, The Holy Longing, he says this, and this is worth following and trying to digest. The opposite of depression is delight. Being spontaneously surprised by the goodness and beauty of living. This is not something we can positively crank up and make happen in our lives. It is, as every saint and sage has told us, the byproduct of something else. It is something that happens to us and which we can never on our own make happen to us. Delight has to catch us unaware at a place where we are not rationalizing that we are happy. So this is what it would mean to not be depressed. Imagine yourself on some ordinary weekday walking to your car, standing at a bus stop, cooking a meal, sitting at your desk, or doing anything else that is quite ordinary. Suddenly, for no tangible reason, you fill with a sense of the goodness and beauty and joy of just living. You feel your own life, your heart, your mind, your body, your sexuality, the people and the things you are connected to, and you spontaneously fill with the exclamation, God, it feels great to be alive. That's delight. That's what it means to not be depressed. And I just love this statement. The first time I read it, I wrote in the margin of the book, how do I get this? Those moments in life, you have them. When God seems near and life seems good. Again, I realize it was just a soccer game. But when Izzy scored that goal and she hopped and skipped and jumped and clapped and laughed and smiled and embraced her team. And then when she called me later, more likely I called her nine times before she answered. It was one of those moments just jam-packed with goodness and take this or not, filled with the presence of God. See, the goodness and the beauty of God permeates still this broken, screwed-up world. And it permeates still our imperfect 
challenging lives. And celebration helps us capture the goodness and the beauty and the unbridled joy of God. Celebration helps us grow younger, even as we grow older. So there is no way to do this without talking about ways to respond. This is the first week. We're not going to overcook this, but we have to respond to this. We have to celebrate and find ways in the course of this week to simply get caught up and in our own way celebrate. But there's a few things I want to mention before we close. And the first is, I've mentioned a few times this idea of spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. This idea of training. This idea of the Spirit forming us or training us through, in this case, the practice of celebration to be kingdom people. And this idea of disciplines and practices is absolutely crucial to us becoming a kingdom person, a person in whom the Spirit works and moves. And so uh, we are going to have, starting this week actually, this Thursday night, there's going to be a four-week fire pit group dedicated to this subject of spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. It's going to begin this Thursday on April 12th. The group is going to read about and discuss some of the crucial foundational spiritual practices It's going to be in a conversational format, I believe, if weather holds up, literally around a fire pit with actual practices to engage in between the weeks where the group will meet. And there are people in this group already. There's only four spots left. There's a table in the back. The people leading the group will be there. If you're interested, I would encourage you to go back there. There'll be something. I don't see it yet, but there'll either be a napkin or the back of someone's hand where you can sign up and put your number down if you want to be a part of this group. And then the second thing, we have to celebrate. We can't go through this by thinking about it. We have to do it. And so just to give you sort of what's in store for us, on Memorial Day weekend, I think it's May 27th, we'll be having a one-service Sunday. And I probably shouldn't say this because I don't think the people who make these things happen even know yet, but we're going to have one meal on that one service Sunday as we gather, and we're going to feast together. I'm getting dagger looks right now from certain people, but we're going to feast together on that Memorial Day weekend. But between now and then, we are going to have some celebration feasts in people's homes, some potluck stuff where, just like we did with the fire pits, people who sign up for a group whatever are going to go to certain one's house with something to bring, and people are going to gather, and all they're going to do is eat and celebrate and toast and give thanks to God for his goodness. And we're going to do this twice during the series. There's no sign-ups yet. There's no nothing to do just yet. But we're looking for people who will host these things. They're, we're hoping to have 7 to 10. We're going to do it twice. 7 to 10 the first time, 7 to 10 the second time. If we have more, we have more to host upwards of 10 or 12 people. It'll be some kind of potluck format. It'll meet in homes. If you're interested in hosting, just text Lorraine if you happen to have her number. Email Lorraine if you happen to have her number, her number or tackle Lorraine after the service and say, I want to do this. I want to host one of these groups. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on this day we remember that you yourself delight in your existence and you delight in your relationship within the Trinity. 
And we celebrate today the goodness that we experience in life in the midst of the challenges and the pain. In the midst of the brokenness. We celebrate that your goodness permeates this world. That if we have eyes to see and if we have ears to hear, we will see your goodness. We will experience your goodness. And we pray that your spirit will continue to train us. So in those moments... We will erupt with a celebration consistent and compatible with who we are that raises hands and honors you as the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.